you for this day, Father. And Lord, we thank you that when we run to you, you never push us away. We thank you that your arms are wide open for us, God, to run into. We praise you for forgiveness. We praise you for your love. And God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord God. Open our minds and change them. Make them reflect you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, gang, it's good to see you. My name is Dennis. It was funny, this morning I walked in, it was like, I haven't been here for weeks. What's going on? You know, I missed last week because of vacation. Then we had the two weeks in the warehouse. It was so much fun being able to celebrate Christmas in a different place. Here we are together today, and it's, it's great to see you. As you came in, you received a folder. And on the inside, there's a card that looks like this. If you take that out right now, put your name on that. We'd appreciate it very much. If this is your first time with us, you can put as much information as you're comfortable putting. Uh, if you go ahead and put your address... What we'd like to do for you is to send you a gift in the mail just to say thanks to you for, for investing your morning with us. We really do appreciate that. Today's a day that's been declared a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It, it's a day that we stop to think about how very important life is. You know, the, the word sanctity is thrown around a, a lot these days, whether it's the sanctity of life or the sanctity of marriage. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I hear words and I have to stop and ask, what does it mean when somebody talks about life being sanctified or marriage being, being uh, something that should be sanctified? So I, I looked it up, and, and the, the definition is simply the state or quality of being holy or sacred. It's saying life is holy. All life is holy. All life matters. And then beyond that, I love the second part of the definition where it says it's the, it has ultimate importance and it's inviolable. It's something that should, should never be violated. We as, as Christ followers are people who need to care about life. And when I talk about life and sanctity of life, I, I'm not just talking about unborn children. I'm talking about anyone, anyone who is in a state where they're hurting, they're troubled, they have a lack of help or a lack of hope, and they need to be lifted up. So it may be someone who's elderly and, and they've come to a point that they're treated uh, more like a number than a person with a name. It, it may be that there's a, that there's a person who has a, a physical disability or a mental disability. And because of that disability, they're, they're kind of sidelined. We as Christ followers need to be the people who stand up, speak up, who have a voice and say, life matters. And it matters because every one of us has been stamped with the image of God. We're made in the image of God. What I'd like to do in the next few moments is um, show you a video clip that further defines and describes what it means for us to have a, a worldview that is for life, a worldview that sanctifies human life. <coughs> God created mankind in his own image. He created them, male and female, in the image of God. Like a set of new glasses that helps us see the world with greater clarity, the value of human life defines how we see and respond to those around us. From the formation of a child's first tiny cell to life's final breath, all life has dignity and value. Because each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that is why, when we talk about being pro-life, it's not just about a political issue. It's a worldview. It's a life view. 
It's a way of looking at each human life that transcends culture, class, race, age, and opinion, knowing that we are all uniquely created in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is deeply rooted in Scripture and modeled through the life of Jesus Christ who said, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we begin to see others as God sees them, we're moved to care more deeply about those created in His image. And we will live each day in a way that honors our Creator. We won't see the Scriptures as mere words, but as commands to express His heart through our actions. Commands like speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And ensure justice for those being crushed. Or love your neighbor as yourself. The sanctity of human life speaks to ancient questions that span all of time and every culture. Questions like, who is God? Who am I? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded to those questions with the story of the Good Samaritan who saw another man who was broken and bleeding. And instead of looking the other way as others had, he stopped and cared for that man, even at great cost to himself. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let us see people as God sees them, seeing their needs. And having mercy on them, because every person is made in the image of God. Don't be silent in the face of injustice, but be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. May we not pass judgment on the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy, but surround her with support, helping her to see the child growing within her as a unique person with a life as valuable as her own. So reach out to orphans in distant lands or the foster child in our own backyard who is waiting, hoping, and praying for a family to call their own. Embrace those with special needs as a special reflection of the image of our Creator God. Let us care for the widow in distress and loneliness. And let us befriend those in prison. Let us shine a light on practices that distort human dignity. Like human trafficking and the cycle of poverty that limits God-given potential and dreams. Make sacrifices to meet the needs of those dying preventable deaths because they lack food, medicine, and clean water. Let us rejoice in the image of God as expressed through various skin colors and ethnic traditions. Refusing to tolerate racist attitudes that mock the one that created us. Let us choose to see those who disagree with us as God sees them, treating them with respect and dignity while helping them to open their eyes to see the beauty and value of life. That is what it means to be pro-life. This is why we need to be a voice. God, we come before you this day on a day that we recognize that, that we've been stamped by your image, in your likeness. Every human life has. Unborn life, aged life. We've all been stamped with your image. And because we are image bearers, you want us to treat life as precious, as holy, as sacred. You want it to not be violated. We live in a nation that has codified laws that prevent people from experiencing life. 
And God, we cry out to you today to forgive us as a nation, to change the mentality of our nation. But God, even more, when when the Bible says that your people need to humble themselves, pray, seek your face, and turn from their wicked ways, you're talking to believers. And God, we as a church need to find our voice, not to scream and rant and rave and get in people's face, but to stand up for life, to stand up for the thing that matters most. We get so distracted by all the other things going on that we forget that we're to be the voice. We are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. And so, God, today I pray that you would move us to when we can step up and stand up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Give us courage. And at the same time, God, give us tremendous mercy and grace and compassion. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was uh, having an I am conversation with a friend this week, and they threw out a comment that, oh, that's a first world problem. And, and, and I was looking at it, and I've heard the term before, but it hit me a little differently than normal. A first world problem. You know, first world problems versus third world problems. Third world problem today is that some woman had to walk seven miles in order to attend a church in the village two villages over. First world problem, you got out of your car that finally got warm enough and got over a snowbank to come up a sidewalk and come sit in church. A third world problem is that I might get bit by a mosquito and it might cause a disease that may kill me. First world problem, honey, we're out of NyQuil. What can I take instead? First world problems and third world problems, they're very real. Uh, they, they, we don't want to minimize one or the other, but we do want to keep things in perspective. That some things, while they may be obstacles, are truly not the end of the world. Uh, this past, past week, our family got a chance to go on vacation. And we experienced some first world problems. You see, we're the family that decides to go to Florida on Florida school this day of the year. So there it is, 47 years old, and I'm saying, the motel, the hotel has a pool, and we're going to use it. I don't care how old it is. We paid for this room. We're going down. We're going to swim. We're going to freeze, and everybody's going to look at us like we're nuts, but so what? We're going for this thing. So we went down and had fun, and Nate got sick. But anyway, that's another story. First world problem. We decided to take a different kind of vacation, a vacation that's very out of the PAP family norm. Vacation for the PAPs? A quiet place, not many people around, secluded, not a lot of activity. You take a nap to wake up to read and get tired to take another nap. That's a vacation in my mind. And so my wife out of the clear blue this year says, why don't we do something different? Let's go hit some theme parks. I'm looking at her like, what invaded your carcass? Are you kidding me? Really? No way. No way. Well, then I thought about like, sure, why not? Brian in particular loves an action-packed vacation, so let's go do that. So we headed to Florida. We gave them the choice. You pick the parks, two parks. They went to the second and third happiest places on earth. We went to some of the universal parks, and then, and then we headed over to SeaWorld. Now, this is the first time we've taken a vacation with what you could say is a family of adults. 
It shifts a little bit from when they were all little ankle biters. When they were ankle biters, we'd say, Daddy wants to take a nap. Go to sleep. We're going to take a nap right now. Well, now they all get to decide what they want to do. So we get to the park, and there are five maps out, not just one map out. And, and we have to decide as we're looking around the park, what are we going to do first? And so Brian looked at the map and said, we're going on the roller coaster. I'm like, really? First? That, that's, that's your, can't we go on the teacup first? I mean, can we, let's work our way up to this. And see, I have this strategy that if you do enough things, you may be able to avoid the roller coasters. But no, we went on the Manta. I don't know if you've seen the Manta. Check it out. SeaWorld's Manta. You sit down in this lovely seat, and then as you're about to leave, they flip the seat forward. So you're laying looking down at the ground, which isn't all bad, I realize, because when you throw up, it doesn't come back at you. It goes down to the ground. And there we are. First time in a decade I've been on a roller coaster. I'm like, what in the world am I doing? And I know of you, you people that are like me, I'm going up this hill, and I'm just going, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I'm saying out loud, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And I see we're about to go down the hill. I'm like, please let it stop. Please take us back. We went through it. We had a lot of fun. We had to go on the roller coaster first. It was the thing we had to do. Then we head over to Universal. What do you do first to Universal? Well, Harry Potter's there now. You can't not go to Harry Potter. I mean, you got to hit. If you're not going to... If you're going to miss something at Universal, it better not be Harry Potter. So what did we do? We walked to the back of the park, and we went to the best uh, attraction associated with Harry Potter. And we got in that line two and a half hour wait. We knew it. We saw the number. We're like, we're going to do this thing. This is so fun. And so we're waiting in line. We're walking. We're getting to know the people around us. It's kind of funny when you're in those lines. You start to think you know people. You've seen them before. And we actually saw one of Kim's college roommates in line. Couldn't believe it. But anyway, we're going, and for real, not for fake. So we're going up and back. We finally get through this thing for 90 seconds of Harry Potter fun. Oh, that was just, it was amazing. You know, at a, at, a, at a theme park, a place like that, you've got to make some choices. You've got to choose what you're going to do first. In real life, it's kind of the same way. But it's a little bit more complicated. There are so many options before us. Honestly, the life we live, this first world life we live, there are so many great choices. And we've got to know what comes first. We've got to be able to decide what's the thing that matters more than anything else. That's true for Christ followers, and it's true for us as a, as a group, as a church. We need to know what matters. What's the thing you've got to do? If you don't do this, you'll have missed it. It's that important. So, in a world of so many choices, so many great choices... We have to pursue what comes first. And I am grateful that our leader, Jesus Christ, made the priorities incredibly clear. He stated it in this verse in Matthew chapter 6, 33. It said with incredible clarity, seek first. I mean, it's as if you're holding, out, holding the amusement park map and he's saying, this is the first place you're going to go. Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. It's a beautiful verse. It's taken in isolation. Uh, you can live that verse. But as you start to read it, you may wonder, 
What does he mean? What is he talking about? For example, the empire. And all these things will be, will be given to you as all well. All what things? You know, Jesus was speaking to people who had a, a rather third world perspective. People who woke up every day to make the money they needed for today so that they could survive today. There was no retirement. There was no social security. There were no vacations. Uh, You made what you needed for today and tomorrow you got up and you did it all over again. And in that society, it would have been easy to focus on surviving. And because you're so focused on surviving, you're not focused on the things that matter most. You're not focused on the things that are the top shelf items, the ones that really matter. I wonder sometimes, I kind of think, if I lived in a, in a poor country, if I lived in a third world country, it would be so much easier for me to be godly. Wouldn't it? I, I'm telling you what, it seems like it would be. But in truth, you're so focused on just making sure that you get your next meal, that you could get distracted there as well. Why does Jesus tell us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Not, not give us this, this six months a, a freezer full of venison, but give us this day our daily bread, what we need for this very moment. For a third world person, they're distracted by survival. And that can draw their attention away from what matters most. For first world people, we're distracted by our abundance of options. We have so many things to choose from and the complications that come from that abundance of options. Here we have all these gizmos in our life that are supposed to make our life easier. Isn't it funny how many things that are supposed to make your life easier actually at times complicate your life even more? So it doesn't matter what state you're in as a human being. It's really easy to get your eyes off of the first things, to get your eyes off of the things that are the top shelf items. Look at this verse in in another translation, in the New Living Translation. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. I love the way it says that. This is your number one priority. You've got to go after this thing first and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. With so many choices, we need to know what are the top shelf items. What is the thing I need to reach for first. Another way to put it, what are the things I won't neglect? Because if I neglect them, they endanger my spiritual health. If I neglect them, they endanger the spiritual health and vitality of a place like Southfield. What are the things we've got to do? We've got to pursue. They are vital. They are most important. And so as we start out this new year, We've been in a series we're calling First, looking at those items that matter the most, the top shelf. Last week, Justin walked us through the absolute top shelf item, a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're nowhere. And so he talked about the importance of starting a relationship with God or for some of us to restart our relationship with God. And that doesn't mean we're becoming a Christian all over again. It just means that sometimes we drift. Sometimes we we get away from what's important. The Bible says we lose our first love and we've got to come back into that relationship. Your development of your relationship with God is a top shelf item. You can't ignore it. If you do, uh, you're causing your spiritual health serious, serious damage. It's vital. On the first, we talked briefly about another top shelf item. 
And that is looking out for people who can't look out for themselves. And so as a church, once a quarter, we're going to focus on, on helping somebody that's absolutely helpless. This quarter, we made up 140 bags for homeless people. They're going to be distributed in the city to people who, who are in really bad shape. You know, for us, we feel like we, we need things. Oh, I, I need a new Xbox. This one's slow. My computer, gunk, gunk, gunk. It's not running the way it used to. Those aren't needs. Those are wants. Needs are food. Needs are a warm place to live. Those are real needs. And so we're shifting our, our eyes away from us. We live in this world that someone has, has, in a very crafty and wonderful way, marketed the letter I iPod, iPad, iPhone, iDentist. Everything about me, right? It's all about me. It's all about making sure I get mine. And part of growing as a Christ follower and a top shelf item is making sure that we're focusing beyond ourselves to people who can't help themselves. Today, we're moving to another issue, another top shelf item. And that is um, that we need to be committed to connect relationships in the kingdom of God are a top shelf item. People come first. This past year in my life, in the life of people close to me, and in life of people in Southfield, I've been watching things happen in relationships. Some things have been tragic in those relationships. There's been fraying in relationships. There, there have been struggles in relationships. There have been people going through very difficult times and they needed someone else. And God has just been opening my eyes in a different way to this connectedness that we need to have in the body of Christ, a connectedness with each other. The Bible has a, a verse that talks about staying connected. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 25. It says, let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. A lot of times that verse is used by a pastor when, you know, when church attendance is kind of dwindling. A nice little spiritual bat. Hey, boom, get back into church. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be sitting in church. You're supposed to be here. I, I, this, this isn't about showing up at church. Because the truth is, you can show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never connect. This, this verse is not about attending. It's about connecting. And, and why do I say that? Look at the verse just before it. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I have to be connected to you to know how to motivate you to love more or better. I have to be connected to you and you have to be connected to me so that you can commend to me the things that are good to do and the things that are not so good to do. We need that kind of connection in our lives. We can't do life in isolation. I had this revelation this past week. I don't spend a lot of time in airports. In fact, for those of you that do, special prayers, man. I'll tell you what, that was just kind of a miserable experience, getting up that early, the whole TSA thing and everything else. I just want to drive. But I'm sitting in the airport... And I'm seeing some things I, I didn't know were going on in, in life in America these days. Like, when did we decide that it's cool to wear big headphones again? I mean, if, if just two years ago, I'd have pulled out my stereo headphones from 1974. I'd have been laughed out of the world. But everybody walking around with these big old glunkies, and, and I'm not picking on kids, 50-year-olds, mm, 
walking down the concourse, having a great time. And, and the part I love is it's not just this, but they're fully engaged here too. <laughs> Texting away with their... I mean, they don't know if they're on Pluto. They're just listening to their music, texting away, having a great time, completely disconnected from everything around them. Maybe they do that on purpose. Maybe they hate the airport. I don't know. Kind of suspect they do the same thing at the dinner table. There's this disconnection going on. And I'm not anti-technology. Believe me, I love technology. But it's easy to allow these things to creep into our lives. And in the process, we start developing some distance with people around us. And, you know, while it's cool to have a pair of, you know, Dr. Dre's or whatever, it's important in your life to have people with whom you're connected. It's important to have, when your life falls apart, I hope you have some people around you. And when someone else's life is falling apart, I hope they have you. God is calling us. He's calling us to be connected. So I guess the question I had to ask as I'm I'm thinking about this is, what keeps us from connecting? Why, why do we find our, our such distance, uh, such apartness when it comes to our relationships with individuals, even as a church, that, that we can gather together and be in the same place, but can you really call someone friend? Is there really someone that, that you're connected with on a heart level? i got some images for you. Here's the first one. Look at this thing. Isn't this cool? I mean, take a good look. Uh, get it on your Christmas list now. I, this, is a, this is a phenomenal pocket life. If somebody owns one of these, you know it, because they're walking down the street like this. You know, they're just... I mean, look at all the things you could do with that knife. You can saw. you got a little compass. you got some little clippers. Oh, look, pliers. You can fix your car. It's got an Allen wrench. It's got something to pick your... Uh, anyway, it's got all kinds of junk. It's got junk. It's got everything you could ever need. Uh, There's too much here. Just like life. Our life is full of distractions. And the distractions keep us from connecting. And you know what's funny? You get in this distracted mode. You're running and running and running. And one day you wake up and you realize, what am I doing? What am I doing? I've I've been so distracted that I'm not connected anymore. Distractions keep us from committing to connect. Another thing that causes a a lack of connection is is distance. I mean, let's face it. If you're not here, I can't connect with you. If I'm not here, you can't connect with me. We have to be physically present in each other's lives if we're going to have any form of connection at all. There's got to be a lack of distance. Further than that, no, connecting doesn't take money. it's It's about investing, really. And I think this is one of the reasons a lot of people struggle with connecting. It takes an investment of time. You've got to spend time with someone to get to know them. All right, I have four and a half minutes free on Thursday. Let's, let's get to know each other. Boom, done, next. It takes a commitment of time. It, it, it takes a commitment of effort. I've got to try. It takes a commitment of emotion. Sometimes I'm going to get hurt. Uh, It it takes a lot of effort, and truth is, it takes risk. You may find yourself extending your your friendship connection to someone else, and they say, no thanks. What do you do with that? Well, for a lot of people, they say, that's the last time I'll ever try to find a friend. I'm done. The investment is hard. Another reason that we are afraid to commit to connect, well, this is called Son of Beast. It's at Kings Island in Ohio. Fear. Fear. 
would you go on that rickety thing? I mean, I, yeah, Bob, whatever. Here the guy's afraid of the cold, but he'll go on that. I'm just, I'm throwing up thinking about it. I'm going to have bad dreams. That thing scares the lifeblood out of me. We have fear over committing to connecting. We're scared. Some people, the fear comes just from their personality. Hi, my name is, comes out, and beyond that, they don't know what in the world they're going to say. And they're just like, oh, this is so hard, I don't like it. Sometimes the fear is, um, I've been hurt before. I don't want to go there again. And so there's, there's some tension there, a barrier that keeps us from investing. And, and, and another reason we don't commit our junk. We all have junk. If you've been alive, you've got junk. Somebody's dumped some in your front yard. You probably dumped a little in theirs. You have relationships that have gone sour. Maybe you've experienced betrayal. You've gone through something really hard and you're going, do I really want to do this again? I, I don't know about you, but there are days that I think the headphones and texting, great way to live life. Great way. It's safe. It's easy. I don't have to worry about getting hurt. But we can't because the Bible says seek the kingdom of God above all else and a huge piece of the kingdom of God is relationships here newsflash for you we're all going to be together forever forever it's a long time folks we're going to be together forever this lasts Forever. Now, if this lasts forever, don't you think God wants us to do some investing in this now? Don't you think that this is a top shelf item? Don't you think this matters more than some of the things that we think are so important? It does. It does. Connecting. Really connecting takes commitment. You got to be committed to it. I mean, and, and as I say this, I realize you're going, man, I have so much going on in my life. We're talking about the top shelf items. This is a top-shelf deal. You've got to find a way to rearrange life for your relationships, to make sure that the relationships are happening. So what does that look like? What does that commitment look like? What do I need to do? I'll give you the first one. No, you don't have to give them gifts. You need to be present. You, You can't say that you have a commitment to connect and not be present, whether it's church or your family dinner table because you're working too much. You can't say that you're committed to connect if you are not physically present. You've got to be there. It's vital. It's very important. It is the most basic level of connecting. You've got to show up. you just got to show up. Now, beyond that, there's more than showing up. You've got to be engaged. You've got to be engaged with what's going on. I, you know, there are a lot of people, for example, with church, they show up. They couldn't name three other people outside of their family because they haven't engaged. They haven't, they haven't really connected with anybody. Now, I know some of you guys, you're like, man, he's in a girly mode today this morning. Little frilly presents and now engagement rings. All right, well, maybe engagement looks like this for you, you know, you're a little bit tougher later today. Some of you are going to be engaged in your dreams and, and you know and some of you are going to be some of you are going to be engaged in your daydreams <clears throat> folks this is almost 30 years ago this isn't even a digital photo i mean look at it it's all grainy i'm surprised it was in color the guy on the heap he's had two hips replaced he's a mess It's been a long, long time. We get really engaged with our sports 
do we get engaged with the people around us? Do we have that level of commitment to them to really be all in, truly present, distraction-free? I mean, are you able to talk to your wife without having the remote within 10 feet of you? Like, actually, put a, turn off the television? <gasps> what? That's, that's like, are you kidding me? Hey, are you committed to connect or not? You've got to get rid of the distractions. Look people in the eyes again. Spend time together. Be with each other. Now, part of that kind of engagement involves this. Learning to ask great questions. Some people say, I have no friends. You know why? Because you just talk too much. Sorry, hurts. I mean, blah, 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 blah. You talk, you talk, you talk, you talk. You have a story for everything. And the person you're with, you barely even know their name. When's the last time you stopped the storytelling and asked a question? It would be life-changing. You know what would be happening? It would be really cool. You'd start to learn something. You'd start to learn that there's something going on in the other person's life. You'd hear what's happening to them. And by the way, their answer isn't a prompt for you to tell the story. You know what their answer is? A prompt for you to ask another question and another question and another question and to dig into their life so that you start to really, really talk. It's funny. Every once in a while I have somebody say to someone else, wow, I had a really great conversation with Dennis. I'm like, "Uh, well, no, really, what we had was a really great listening event where I got to hear what was going on in the person's life because I was asking them questions and finding out what was going on with them. Can you be that person? I had a friend in college. He's in heaven now. And I realized after he was gone how very little I knew about him because he was always asking questions. He was always having me fill in the blanks instead of me being the one uh, finding out about him. Ask questions. Listen actively. Let me give you another piece of engagement. Act on your internal prompts. Act on the impulses. I know impulsiveness is bad, but sometimes you have an impulse relationally. I should call someone. I should text them. I, I, should, I should contact them. Uh, if I do, I, I might bother them. I don't want to intrude on them. Act on impulses. Invite someone out. You know what? They might say no. Don't take that as that's it. I'm never going to try to extend a friendship again. Try again and try again and try again. But act on those prompts from the Spirit along the way. And here's the other thing you got to do. You got to recognize relationships take time. They just, they take time. They take a long, long time to develop. You've been here six months. You're saying, I have no friends at this church. You've only been here six months. That's not a very long time to make a connection with people. There's only one time in my life that I can say my relational connections happen fast. I hyper fast. And that's when I was in college. We lived together 24 hours a day. And we were in an era of life that everything was unguarded. You were just kind of out there. I mean, it was a different time. You move into adulthood, that that crockpot set on slow relationally. It takes a long time to develop connections. You know, this past year we've had several of our church families move to other places. And as I've been able to connect with them long distance, one of the things they're making and is out in observation is, wow, I didn't realize how lonely this was going to be. I didn't realize how hard the first year was that every, every conversation begins with the words, hi, my name is. 
and doesn't go very far. Relational building takes time. It takes a lot of time. So I just ask you this simple question today. Are you committed to connect? It's top shelf item. This is obedience to Matthew 6.33. This is the thing, one of the things we're supposed to be seeking first. Relational connection with other human beings. I want to give you a chance to actually make a physical commitment to this today. So take out your card and turn it to the back side. And as you do, you see six items there. I would like to say there are six on purpose. It was actually a mistake. I was printing the cards. I saw three print and I looked and I thought, six, there should only be five. And so I hit stop and I went and looked at what the six was. And when I realized it, I realized this was God-inspired. So here we go. Six steps to commit to connect. The first one is this. I'll be here more this year. Now, if you've been here 52 Sundays a year, you don't have to check that one off. And, and for the rest of us, maybe, maybe I need to say, you know what? I just need, I need to step up and be present more often. I can't connect if I'm not present. The second one, I'll be more intentionally present. What do we mean by that? Focused and distraction free. So it's one thing to show up. It's another thing to actually talk to somebody outside of your family. And I know the way this works. Honestly, the way I'm wired, uh, if I were in a crowd like this and I were a stranger, I'd be standing on the back wall, staring at everybody as an observer. I'd watch. That's not connecting. That's not really being present. That's just being there. The third one, I'll learn to listen actively. I'm going to ask questions. I'm, I'm going to, this year, I'm going to make it a practice. In conversations, I'm going to think about asking questions instead of just filling airspace with my voice. Fourth one, I'll act on my internal prompts. You, you kind of backed off on those. When they come, you, you shied away from them, and now it's time to say, no, I'm going to get gutsy. I'm going to start acting on things when they come to my mind, my heart. The fifth one, I'll learn to active, listen, actively listen. Yes, it got repeated. It got repeated by accident, but, you know, we have two ears, so here's what you're going to do. If you check the first one, check the next one for the other ear. Now you're going to actively listen with both ears. And the final one, I'm going to be patient and not give up. I'm going to be patient and not give up. I realize that relationships take time, and I'm willing to invest the time in making them work. I told you that this one, this particular um, piece of first hit me personally uh, in, in a deep way this past year. You've heard the story, and we told you about um, Kim's sister, who was in a really bad car accident about a year ago now, a little over a year ago now, and it, and it just it shattered her leg. And in the process, she's you know messed with her walking and messed with a lot in her life. The other day I was sitting, um, I was reading the Christmas letter she sent out, and she's just kind of tracking through all the things that have happened this past year. Two months into that physical experience, my brother-in-law said to her, I don't love you anymore, I want out. And in fact, he didn't even say, I want out. He said, I don't love you, I don't love you anymore. You get out. And so even though she's in a bed and couldn't walk, he made her move out of the house with the newborn kid. kid was two weeks old before the accident. And the two-year-old, you move out. And um, I got to tell you, you know, I can't imagine what she's going through, but for those of us that have been going through it with her, your brain goes a million places. 
And um, I realized something as this was unfolding. I didn't know my brother-in-law. And it wasn't that something appeared that I didn't know. I had never taken the time to really get to know my brother-in-law. We were together at Christmas or, you know, family events, but, but I had never taken the time to really invest in a relationship with him. So when all of a sudden he does something that even pagans don't do, all I could do was kind of guess why he did it. I had no idea. I had no idea why he did it because I wasn't close enough to, to know. And when I went to have a conversation with him to say, what in the world are you doing? I had no influence because we really didn't have that deep of a connection. You know who had the influence? The people that were saying, dumper. It's fun to be detached. You get to play Xbox all day long and you won't hear her whining and moaning. Those are the people that had the influence. And it's caused something to stir in me to say, my goodness, where in the world did I get so distracted that relationships moved from the top shelf and are just somewhere down there? It's my own brother-in-law. This top shelf issue. We need to be there when people are going through pain and we need to be there when people are taking a wrong turn and we need to know them and we have to have been together enough that we can have some influence in their life when they decide to press the nuke button and destroy their family or whatever. I can't say it enough. Don't, Don't wait until something like this happens in your life to finally realize that relationships matter, that connecting is important. Start Do what God says. Seek his kingdom first. And a huge piece of his kingdom is a friendship with the person sitting next to you and the people in your family and other human beings. Let's pray to God. Father, it, it just, it saddens me that whether we're third world or first world, We forget about the top shelf. I ask for your forgiveness for forgetting about top shelf items. For getting so distracted with other things that I I missed the point. Draw me back and draw us back to the thing that matters most. And in this particular case, it's people, friendships, relationships. Don't let any of us walk away from here today without a renewed commitment to connect. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our servers are coming in a moment and and we'll partake of communion today. You have a bread and cup, uh, two cups stacked together. One has a piece of bread in the bottom, the other has juice in the top. And uh, communion is just a really beautiful picture of God's initiative to connect with us. While we were dead in sin, while we were separated from him, Christ died for us so that we could have a relationship with God. I don't know if you were watching a football game last night where Denver was getting dismantled, but there was a bright spot when a video came on, a video of some little kids quoting John 3.16. I mean, this thing, it was sweet. It just, it was amazing. And the end of the video, the end of the clip comes, and this little girl goes, 
When's the last time you said, wow, over God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life? Wow. This is your wow moment. Enjoy it with God. Our servers are coming right now and they'll collect your offering. Place your offering in the basket and uh, place your card in there too. Very real sense when you place your card in there and you've checked off some of those boxes that you're giving your commitment to God. You're saying, this is something, God, that before you, I, I'm, I'm committed to this. I want to see this happen. So uh, make sure you go ahead and do that. And as you do, I want to talk about an opportunity to connect outside of here. Uh, this last week and this week, our new Journey Group catalog is out. Got some new leaders coming this year, like Brad Richardson and Tara Lakin and Jill Tidwell. We have some other people that are returning to leading groups. We have groups for guys, groups for women. We have a group that will get you in physical shape. Uh, there are no Twinkie groups yet, sorry. But anyway, we've got all kinds of great groups coming for you, one that will help you to get your finances in order. I saw somebody comment on Facebook. They said, can you believe it? I'm going to do a Beth Moore study this coming quarter. And just all kinds of great opportunities for you to go ahead Learn more. Learning is important. But beyond that, connecting with people. This is an environment that's really safe where you get a chance to come and start to develop some friendships outside of sitting side by side on a Sunday morning. So registration is officially open today. You can go on the website, get signed up for your group. Uh, they start in February and last through basically the, the end of April. So we hope that you'll, you'll get involved in one or more opportunity this coming semester to get to know some other people and start building the connections that will truly last for eternity. All right, why don't you stand up? Been a little warm in here today. They've, they've had the heat cranking, but you know, you're about to go back out to the Arctic tundra, so you might as well enjoy it while you can. Why don't you sing and uh, enjoy praising God together with your voice. Sing this with us.